the Nashville 2 Podcast with your host, Edward Fox. G'day viewers and listeners, it's Ed Fox back with another amazing episode of Nashville 2. And I'm so excited for my guest today. If you, Well, first, I got so excited I forgot the rest of my spiel. If you know somebody that should be on Nashville 2, um, have them register at Nashville2.com. We'd love to have them on the show and hear about what they're doing to serve their community in Middle Tennessee. And so my guest, Sue Smith, and I love the spelling of your name, and you'll have to tell us the story behind that, is S-I-O-U-X for Sue. Um, welcome, my special guest. Yay! I need a button that has applause. Welcome, <laughs> Sue. How are you doing? I'm doing amazingly well. Thank you. It's a delight to be here, Ed. Well, I, I, you say that. We haven't got through the podcast yet, but I appreciate that. Now, are, are you from Middle Tennessee originally, Sue? No, I'm not. I've actually had the privilege of being able to travel this amazing world. I have been in all 50 of the United States, Canada, Mexico, and on four continents. So I have seen a lot and toured a lot, and I love meeting people. So no, not Middle Tennessee. I've lived here for about 14 years now. Okay. Well, you're going to have some hidden gems for us later in the show. I know you do. And Absolutely. we met through, uh, like I meet a lot of my people, through a BNI networking group that your husband's in, right. and you were there as a guest or a sub, or you were there with him. And I always like it when the couples can come to BNI together if they both own businesses, right? So, so tell me a little bit about who is who is Sue Smith and what do you do? Very good. Well, my um, number one thing you need to know about me is that I live a life of joy. Okay, that is my call, and it's to help others to live that same joy filled life. So, I am a business and life coach. I help people who have mostly done everything that was ever expected of them. So they've had a measure of success. They've done their business. They've raised their families. They've done other things, but they know there's more. They just really feel there's a calling and they may have had a dream way back in the old days and they've never really re realized that, but they're at a point in their life and they're saying, I don't have that much, you know, time's too short to not chase after what I really want to do. And so I help them to, first of all, reevaluate who they are. We especially take a look at their life journey and all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the amazing, the depressing, and we discern what are their gifts, talents, abilities, and strengths that they've learned from the good, from the bad, and how did that develop them into a person? What character did they develop, and what are they passionate about, and who are they passionate about? People, I believe that every single person has a people group to whom they're called. These are the people that they care about their circumstances, their situations, or, or their needs, and they're going to meet those needs. And so I help them to discern that. And when we get that whole picture done, then I help them develop a plan to see that become a reality. How then do they move forward to make those dreams? And that might be establishing a business. It might be establishing a nonprofit or a ministry. It more than likely includes writing a book about their story because only amazing people come to me. So they have an amazing story and getting their story out and getting them on positions on stages where they can share that story and, and make a difference in people's lives. And I think that's you, you hit multiple points that we can go in in a, a bunch of different directions. But the one that interests me is the book and, and speaking mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. Um, 
but that's not normally the sort of coach that most people associate with when they associate with a life coach or a business coach. I, I think you fit a whole different um, ideal client than some of those people that are looking for a business coach or a, or a life coach. I think you're so much more than that from just our conversations and and your skill set and your you, you've traveled the world like we talked about. Um, how would you would you agree or disagree? I do agree. Um, where there are mostly coaches help you with a problem spot, and that's a good thing. That's needful. I, on the other hand, I help people. Most of my clients are very successful. They've done something amazing with their life, but they know there's a little bit more that they can just give more and there's a, a yearning in their own heart. And so the difference is where some people are trying to fix what's wrong. I'm working with people who they have, they can show all the, all the measures of success. You know, they've done it and they've achieved and yet they know there's just that little bit more. So instead of fixing, we're actually moving to the next step. I, my, my catchphrase for my business is empowering people to passionately pursue their purpose. And, um, you know, where can we take all of that energy that's focused inside of us? And we know when we're doing what we're seriously called and designed to do, we have such a passion. We don't get burnout. We don't get exhausted. We might be physically like, oh, wow, I used a lot of energy, but we're so hyped up. You know, we're so excited about the next opportunity and the next thing. And so um, when I do conferences or I do retreats or I'm um, out in the speaking and I know I'm putting my full effort in, but I come back going, I'm so jazzed. You know, this was the greatest experience. Yes, I'm depleted, but I'm not drowned, dried up. I'm not just an empty vessel now and I'm used up. I'm filled up because of the response I'm getting back. So it's a, it's a joy to do what I do. And yes, it's it's a little bit different from what people are expecting in a quote unquote life coach. And um, and because I help in both business and life, it becomes a holistic type of thing. So who is your if, if you had your rathers and you could define your ideal client, what does that look like? I work primarily with women. Um, it's just a comfort thing for me. I, I really can relate to them, but I do have several male clients, many male clients actually. And, um, so I'm looking for people that, um, usually are more than 35. They're in their 40 and 50 range because they're at a point in time where they've done the corporate thing they've done. They've raised their kids. Most of them, they're seeing that, the things that were all expected of them to do, the things that were the right things, you know, you go to college, you get your career going, you get the corner office and you do all of this and you're still not quite where you thought you could be and you should be. So my clients are very affluent. They're successful. They are um, achievers. And they know, though, that there's a place they want to pivot in life. So sometimes they're a little older. Sometimes they're empty nesters and they're um, looking at retirement, maybe from their original career. And now they're like, I don't want to just, you know, zone out the rest of my days. I want to do and I've got so much energy and, and experience. Let's take it somewhere exciting. And so that's why we go back and we say, okay, your 10 year old self, what were they dreaming of? Because often I found that whatever you dreamed of as a child really is an indicator of where you want to go. Now, if it's 
you know, I was going to be an astronaut. Okay, well, maybe it's not the astronaut, but it's the adventure of stepping into new and unknown things, you know. So we find out what the little secret hidden meanings are in all of their life. And, and that's amazing. So I, I think the last three years, if they've taught us anything at all of COVID, it's taught us that, you know what, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantees. And we, we, what have they been calling it in corporate world? The great resignation, you know, where mm-hmm. a bunch of people have left the corporate world. So I would think that your skills and, and what you do has come to the forefront for a lot of those people, like myself, thinking of writing books and, and speaking on stages. And that's why I started the podcast during COVID was because there's so many interesting stories out there that you hear when we're uh, on the other side of a lunch table or having a coffee but we don't necessarily get to retain that or have that information, which is, I think it it drew me to you the first time I met you and you started talking about authoring books and coaching people to achieve the things that they wanted to get done in life. Right. Maybe that. And I think, have you found that since COVID more and more people are coming to you or, or has it stayed about the same? No, actually um, it's interesting because my, client age gap has increased. I have clients in their 80s now. <laughs> These are right. 80 year people you think, oh, you should be like resting yourself. Right. They're like, no, I want out. I want to change. I want to to do. I want my message to get out. I've got so much to share. And then I'm seeing also a lot of the younger middle-aged people because what COVID also taught us is that, you know what? I can work on my own and I actually can stay home and enjoy my day and not face the stress and the pressure of commuting and being in the office. And um, I can I can self-regulate as well. Right. And, and so people are, are willing to step out of the corporate structure and say, I can do this. I can do this thing, this dream. I can make it happen or even... I can take what I've been doing for the last 20, 30, 40 years and make it my own. And I can have a say. I can see things work the way I want them to. So, again, I've seen it stretching post-COVID. And you're right. The great resignation is real. It's happening. And people are moving forward with their dreams because they realize getting caught there and in a moment's notice, having everything taken from you, having everything in your job security And I feel the most for the people that weren't ready for that financially, they didn't, they didn't know they needed, you know, of course we all have a little bit of savings, but we weren't ready for two years of lockdown. Dig the well before you need it, right? Dig, have that side hustle going on, have a book out there, have some speaking, have something. Exactly. And the nice thing about a book, a couple nice things. So first thing it's residual income. You put it out there and it will be out there forever. It's a legacy product. And um, and as long as you're proud of it, you're, the generations after you will be proud of it as well. And yeah, don't forget so, to Im- include the royalties and the ownership of the material in your will. In the will. There so you go. Somebody there you go. Or your trust. You should have a trust. If you don't have a will or a trust, um, then the state of Tennessee or wherever you're listening to has has a program for you. So, and that is bad. You don't want their program. You want to do your own program. Anyway, so a little, little PSA in there, right? So- Absolutely. And that's actually one of the things I talk to my clients about is legacy. 
because a lot of them are thinking long-term now, because when we begin, we're taught as young people to think very short-term, get your college degree, get your first job, get the next promotion, get, and it's very segmented. And so I help my clients to see that long-term. Let's begin leaving something behind that's worth having, that's going to be financially secure, and that is a joy to do. Let, none of us want to be working at drudgery. We shouldn't have to. That should never be. We should be living in joy. And so when you write a book, you're leaving a legacy. You're having residual income. But the better part of this is if I take, well, for instance, okay, my, one of my books. Oh, if, doc, we can, those oh, watching the video yeah. can see it. Yep. There you go. Okay. This is this is just one that I wrote. And so if I say, hey, Ed, it's nice to meet you. And I hand you a business card. You're like, okay, yeah, thanks. I'll put it with the other 150,000 business cards I have. Right. But if I say, hey, Ed, nice to meet you. Here's something I've written. Just look over it. And if you find anything interesting in there, I'd love for you to get back to me and we can talk about it. Okay, a couple different things happen. One is you go, Oh my goodness, you're an author. I've always wanted to write a book. <laughs> that um, New York Times did a study and they found that 81% of respondents, 81% of people said they've always dreamed of writing a book. But yeah. the statistics show that only 1% of people ever do write a book. Right. That's a huge gap. So the second thing that happens is I hand you a book and to be honest, this book right here costs about $2.50 to produce. Mm -hmm. That's all it costs me. You know, business cards are maybe what a buck, you know, so you're not really, really doing that much of a difference in cost, but the return is amazing because number one, you've just been an author. It automatically gives you credibility and expertise. Now they're thinking, well, if you know enough to write a book about something, you must know something that will benefit me. Because the truth of the matter, Ed, I'm sure you've seen this, is everybody's biggest thing is what's in it for me. Right. <laughs> you know? right. What do I get out of this deal? And that's um, maybe not the best way people look at it, but it is a truth. People are like, what do I get out of this? So here they found out a couple things. One, they can talk to somebody who's living their dream. Oh, an author. Number two, you obviously have enough knowledge you've got to put in a book. And number three, psychologically, it makes them connect to you and they feel like they maybe owe you a little bit because you've given them a gift. Now we, we're taught good manners. We reciprocate, right? Reciprocate, yep. <laughs> and so it connects you to your potential clients so much better. And it doesn't matter what field you're in. I've helped people write books about all sorts of numbers of, of topics. And it works across the board, regardless of what your expertise is in. And it doesn't have to be a big book. It just has to be helpful. It has right. to have real information. And I really make sure that my authors understand it needs to be quality. I'm not going right. to put my name behind something that's a piece of trash. So, you know, handing somebody something that doesn't meet their need, they're not really going to think much of it. But to give them a quality, an excellent piece of information, it's good. Yeah. Yep. Qual quality. I have all quality. of the quality. Have your qualify. Yeah, that's qualified right. Qualified so, expertise right there in a book. Change it. Yeah. We, and we, <laughs> I definitely need to talk to you more about that for myself too. So that, that's kind of fun because I, I think back in the day we were taught, you know, write an article, get it in the newspaper, in the magazine, you become the expert on that topic. It, it becomes important. Right. And, and I think so much 
self-publishing is so good today. The quality is so much better than it used to be. Uh, so I have a I have a secret. I tell people all the time, look, write something on Kindle, write it through Kindle Create and get it up. They mm-hmm. said, oh, what about my editor? I said, the the three people that read it, because you're going to have a marketing, but they will tell you what you did wrong and they will send you edits. So I did my first book was a 101 dad jokes. And I got a lady that said, Hey, do you mind if I give you some feedback? I said, no, I'm always open to feedback. She wrote down every punctuation error and every edit I needed to make. And I said, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And I was able to go in and make those changes cost me nothing cost me nothing. So, you know, not that I'm saying that's the way to edit your book, but uh, I'm more of a fire look aim type person, right? That tends to be How's my- How's that working for you? Yeah, it, it's working pretty bloody good, actually. Um, there are times that it doesn't fit, obviously, because my wife, I said that the other day, and she said, you are not that person at all. I said, yes, I am. She goes, no, you're not. You you plan it all out before you jump. I said, eh, sometimes. You know, my desk is a mess. My computer is highly organized. So it, it just depends. And I, I would say that you would find that in people's lives that we we can't take a, a disk profile test and say that oh, I'm a high I, I'm a high D, whatever it is, or one of those personality pluses or, or anything that does the animals. You know, there's a million of them. Yep. Um, I, I, you you. You might be that in some areas, but you're not that in every area of your life. Do you subscribe to that sort of like you're more than just your? Absolutely. Well, it's funny that you mentioned because I am a DIS certified analyst. (laughs) And um, however, I am not a fan of pigeonholing people. And I absolutely agree. There is nurture and nature. So you might by nature be very outgoing, but by nurture, by circumstances and life experiences, you may have been taught to hold that back. So you appear to be very introverted. Okay. So when you're talking about different areas of your life, the places where you feel comfortable, you're going to be extrovert. And the places you feel very um, uncomfortable or, or not quite you know, sure of yourself, right. you're going to pull back. So which one are you? No, you're, it's it's. I'm an, an introvert. I, people go, you're not an introvert. I like. I am so totally an introvert. And they go, you're making a doll of yourself. How can you be an introvert, right? Because I was the kid in eighth grade that hid in the library because I couldn't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. So I put the when I put the costume on, you know, I put my superhero costume on, my American flag, my American Crocs, held my koala because I'm quality. I have all the qualifications. Put on the hat. I can go out into the marketplace. I can go out into the networking, wherever, and I can be extra. I can be special ed, right? But I like nothing better than to taking my downtime and sitting around reading a book. I don't need other people around, you know, uh, go watch some cricket on TV, do something like that. Uh, so, yeah, so sometimes I'm an extrovert. Sometimes I'm an introvert, but I see myself as an ex- as an introvert most of mm-hmm. the time. and. Mm-hmm. And people that don't know me don't know that. And that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that because I actually do teach my clients to have a a stage persona. We we put together who they want to be on stage when they're giving a message. And I don't mean on stage like in a play. I'm talking about when they're presenting something. And you don't want them to be. And they, yeah, they put on their persona. They're superhero. They're still still genuine. They're still Mm -hmm. authentic. 
that that's the that's the book I'm writing. Be authentic unless you're a serial killer, then don't be that chained, right? That's the title. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a long exactly. title. Well, but it's the title. That that's the title because you your genuineness, your authenticness comes through everything that we do. And if you're not authentic and you're not genuine, I can have fun with this persona, but there is a big part of me that is this person, mm-hmm. right? This person that wants to make people laugh, you know, the fat kid at school, picked on, bullied. So we look at that 10-year-old and we say, what did that 10-year-old enjoy doing? He enjoyed not getting beat up. And the way of not getting beat up was to tell jokes and have yep. them laugh with him instead of at him or pick on him, you know? And so that's a big part of my persona that I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it for anything because it's who I am. It's my authenticity. And I think absolutely what I've heard you talk about is to genuineness and authenticity as well. And it is. And that's why we go back through people's entire timelines for that very reason. Okay, this was a traumatic thing and it was horrible and it whatever. And we don't negate that. Right. But we go, okay, what can we learn? What strengths came out of it? What what ability? Hey, um, you know, I was abused as a kid, blah, blah, blah. Well, now I read people real well. Right. I'm alert to all the clues that something's about to come down. Okay, now that's a strength out of a horrible situation. Same with you. What did you learn? You learned to tell a joke and make it good. You know, right. it's, it's, that's gonna do. And now it becomes a strength, even in our our bad times we do we develop as long as we can look at look back and see character um skills we learn all sorts of things through our experiences good and bad and so we help pull those out and that helps as you're saying it defines us it brings out our authentic identity we're not having to hide the person that was grieved, we're not having to hide the person that was abused. We're not having to hide the person that's funny. We're not having to hide, you know, because there's a lot of people that were the class clown, but it was so denigrated. They were put down for it. And so they stifle that part of themselves. And so they're, you know, always rigid and serious. You're like, no, 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 let's bring that back out because it's part of your authentic identity and it's part of who you need to be. Because I'll tell you what, the most wearing out thing is to try and be somebody you're not. Exactly. And I, you I, I are. yes, <laughs> well, and the, one of the big things for me is I, I opened a business at 15 was a, a corner store, right? And so at 15, I've left school at the end of ninth grade. I'm like the smartest 15 year old I know, you know, dad just rolls his eyes, you know. And so we start working and the people coming in are the ones that some of them were the people that bullied me there were a couple of girls that bullied the heck out of me and we become friends now that I'm no longer in school and I'm like why the heck did you guys bully me so bad and I got to realize that their way of taking eyes off themselves so that they weren't bullied was by picking on somebody else and you start to have empathy for their situation now they didn't do anything real bad. They just made fun of me. So it was easier to forgive and move on, but also to take that learning that everybody has a challenge. We don't know what it is. You know, the beautiful girl, I I talked to a a couple of girls in our school that I thought were the most, and they said they could never get a date with a decent guy because the only ones that came to them were the bad guys and that they were crying themselves to sleep because nobody would talk to them because 
they thought they were unapproachable, you know. And then you got the girl with glasses, the one that had braces, the guy that was fat, you know. You've got every single, the redhead, you know. It, as you hear these people's stories, we've all been through stuff in our life that other people need to hear about. And this is why I tell people, be genuine, be authentic, and get your story out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is why it's so important because our life experience ties into our expertise and people believe us about our expertise when they can go, oh my goodness, same, I did that. That was me, me too. And when, when they can say me too, to your experience, they will listen to your message because you're offering hope. You're offering an, an alternative ending to their own story. And that is powerful. That's where transformation and impact in the world and people's lives. And that again is where we change generations, where we leave a legacy by being our authentic selves, telling our story, but it's more than telling, it's getting the message out to be out make it public, put it in a book, get up on a stage, whatever, however big or small that platform is, get out and start telling people that there is hope. There is life after pain. <laughs> there is there is more to it. And when we can do that, oh my goodness, the impact and the lives that are changed. And we don't even know the ripple effects. Right. We can't possibly know that until eternity. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm looking forward because I have people come back And one of the things that brings me the most joy is when they say, you changed my life. You changed my life. I can't believe before and now. That makes it all worthwhile. As a business owner, it can be tiring paying cash for everything you need. Well, there's a better way. Introducing Trade Bank of Nashville. Our bartering service lets you exchange goods and services without the need for cash transactions. Trade Bank helps businesses like yours reduce expenses, bring in new business, and keep your cash where you need it most. Find out more and join our barter network today. Start getting what you need without paying cash because sometimes barter is just smarter. Apply today at nashville.tradebank.com. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I feed on too is, is I love talking about marketing, right? I love talking about marketing and sales and, and if it applies to your authenticity, figure out, cause I get people come up and say, Oh, I wish I could be more outgoing like you. I said, no, you don't want to be more like me. You want to be more like you. Who do you want to be? Because the only person that can change us is us, right? So being authentic to yourself, if you are quiet and reserved, you're probably going to be a better salesperson than me because you listen more than you talk, right? We know that. So so don't be afraid to be who you are, unless, of course, you're a serial killer, then don't be that. Change. You can change, right? And so teaching people that they can change themselves, I I would think that that's something that you can help draw out their authenticity and their genuineness. And maybe there's a little fear holding us back, right? You know, I used to hear all the time, and I didn't like to get up in front of groups originally, you know, that public speaking was the biggest fear. And I don't I know. know. They it fear it more than me. death. Yeah. Yes. They, it's higher on the list of things they're afraid of than death. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so now people go, oh, I wish I could be more. Look, I did Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. I, I do B&I. I, I, um, Toastmasters was a big help at, helping me stand up and speak. And the big word they like to use at Toastmasters is extemporaneously. Yes. Right. To speak off the cuff. 
so they we would have this bowl that you would pass around and you'd pull out a piece of paper and you had to talk on that for three minutes right but you also had to plan out and do 20 speeches i think it was for your first qualification and then 20 more for your second qualification but the biggest thing that changed me, I started doing a multi-level marketing company called Amway back in the late 80s in Australia. And you need to stand up in front of a whiteboard and this is you, you sponsored them. And, you know, and I love doing groups because I could be this joker and have fun. I used to love taking the dry erase marker and rubbing it off with my hand and then wiping it across my face. And the whole idea is you'd have green and red and blue because if this guy could do it, anybody can do it, right? Yeah. It was the idea, you know. Um, but I didn't like doing it one-on-one -on -one because I had to be more vulnerable. I had to be more open. And that was the introvert coming out, you know, that, that, oh, no, I'm not going to do one-on-one. -on -one. I'd love to do groups because they don't really get to know that side of me. Right. And I, I would think that you could draw that out of people and help them recognize that. So people that are listening or viewing this podcast, and I found this very interesting. Um, if you have some extra minutes, I would love to spend a bit more time. I don't know if you're on a time limit. Okay. Not today, I'm good. Um, because we're 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 done without like normal length, but some <laughs> of them I like go longer because there's just so much good information that we haven't gotten to, uh, and we don't have somebody butting up to us like you butted up to someone who butted. I up. know, so sorry. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> you I, said I like come it. on a few minutes early, and I'm yeah. like, Oops, okay, yeah. back. Well, up. the idea is that I normally <laughs> introduce you to the other guests, so that was going to be the idea. Um, ah. But but I didn't tell you that it would help if I would tell people that I tried to institute the waiting room, but Zoom, it's not working with the waiting room for some reason. So I, I don't know what I've got a setting wrong. Um, but that person that's sitting watching this or listening to us, how can they recognize or what are some things they need to ask themselves to know that they might need to talk to you or that they might want to talk to you? Number one is that yearning. I'll tell you what, people that are content and just sitting back, resting on their laurels or just doing what they're doing, they don't need to talk to me because right. if you don't have that spark, if you don't have that, that there's more and you're looking, you know, where is it? I don't know where it is. I don't know how to find it, but you know, it's there, you know, there's something or you're asking yourself, surely there has to be something more. Either one of those extremes, you need to talk to me because that means that there's already something spinning in the subconscious in your mind, way on the back burner. It's going. And that's the beautiful thing about your mind. It's working overtime while you don't even know it. And it's planning and it's plotting and you're not even a, a part of it. <laughs> you're not right. conscious about what it's doing, but it's making a way for your dreams to come true. And so if that's already in your system, in your psyche, you're already thinking that, then you need to talk to me because as you said, we pull that on out. We start bringing it to light. And when we start doing that, I'm telling you, people get so excited. They're like, I didn't even know I could do this. I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know. And what I'm really, really good at, my superpower truly is to be able to see into people and to hear, to listen to what they're saying. I'm not telling them. I'm listening to what they're saying, what they're telling me. And I can draw out. And I said, did you know this about yourself? Have you ever thought about that? And they're like, that's exactly what, you know, that's exactly right. what. And so it's not like I have some kind of magic ball or, you know, psychic power where I'm going, aha, I see your future and you could, you know, it's just, it's in them. 
It's already in them. Their, their, their own mind has already been developing their plans and their dreams. And it's such a joy to see that and to see people now walking into a whole new area, a whole new realm, whole new adventure. And so, yeah, if they're, if they're even thinking there's got to be more or I, you know, I have this dream. I know I can do this thing if I just knew how. And that's what keeps most people back is they they know what they might want to do. They might even know who they want to help. But they, they're at a loss. How do I do it? How do I develop a, a nonprofit? How do I take an idea I have and get it marketed? How do I write a book? How? I, I don't know. And I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes. Um, self-publishing has just opened doors that were so closed tightly and I mean closed tightly but it's still tricky to navigate having somebody help you wind through the obstacles and avoid pitfalls that's that's priceless yeah. and so when people work with me and they go from something that might have taken them 10 15 sometimes 20 years to do on their own they're able to see it to get an, a plan of action and i'm big on on really actionable steps we're not trying to jump the grand canyon we're going to take these little steps and, and eat an elephant it. one bite at a time that's, right? it. that's Absolutely. for all those people out there eating elephants i don't know where that came from but yeah. you know whatever you know? um so yeah and so that's important right because it I've got a, I've got one child. I've got three three uh, children that are ours, and then like three others that are unofficially adopted as part of the family. Um, but one of my sons, he's the sort of guy that for him to go to Disney World, all the lights have to be green before he starts. Right now, he's changing a little bit now that he's hitting uh, close to thirty. But it used to be as a twelve year old, he wanted everything planned out before he got started, and um, Whereas his oldest brother and me, we're like, okay, let's jump out of the airplane. We'll grab a parachute on the way out. It'll, it'll be fine. You know, sure. I know bounce. the basics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, so, uh, <laughs> so that, and, and that tends to be, you know, I'm going, things that don't kill me. Right. I'm not going to say I'm going to jump out of the plane, but those things that, oh, I need to go up and meet that person. Oh, I'm kind of like scared to go up and shake hands, or I'm kind of scared to go out and network and, and, that sort of stuff, you can face that fear because there's really, you're not going to die of a heart attack from meeting somebody or, or saying hello or putting on a funny hat or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Right. And so I, I find that different people have different fears holding them back. Um, and that, that step-by-step process is so helpful because it becomes not only that accountability coach, but also that person walking along beside you and helping you hey, the next step is this, let's go that far. Mm -hmm. You know, the next step is that. And and I really feel just from having spoken to you at BNI and and the way that I see you interact with other people, that that's more of the type of person that you are, that you're there to help them find their thing, not the thing that you think they should do. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, and you, you've got to remember, I have 10 children, so. <laughs> I, I had forgotten that. I've, yes. um. I've had a really good experience and a lot of experience um, taking diverse personalities and walking them through to their dreams, not, you know, not putting a dream on them because that's not happy for anybody, but, you know, so. So, so I was telling this story on the last podcast or maybe the one before about, 
how I'm one of five, mum and dad are one of six and seven. Um, my wife is one of seven and they were like one of a bunch, you know, I don't know how many. Um, and the difference you have with a big family set up like that, and we were around our cousins all the time, as opposed to an only child or two, you know, and then we were, we were trying to play a game of Monopoly at Thanksgiving one time. And the first hour was about defining the rules of the game, right? Are we doing free parking? Are we putting our jail money in free parking? And, you know, are we doing this? Do we have to buy every card, you know? And the, the only child person, she's like, when's the game going to start? <laughs> Once we have clarified the rules. Well, the rules are right there in the book. Yeah, but we all play by different rules at different households. She's like, uh, this ain't for me. And she, she walks <laughs> off like she couldn't, she couldn't do it. Now, was your, were your kids and you guys, were you gamers? Did you guys play a lot of board games? What was your board game of choice? Mine or my family's? Well, yours or your family. Or both. Well, okay. Um, In fact, just last Friday evening, we played Uno. Okay. Okay. Uno's not a board game. It's a card game. Yeah, but, but you have to back up because just what you just said. So, um. My third son uh, loved cards, so he collected cards. So we'd go and buy him multiple sets, and I'd go to like a thrift store, secondhand store, garage sale, whatever, and there'd be, you know, an Uno deck, and they're, okay, you know it doesn't have all the cards in it. So right. we have we have a stack of Uno cards that literally is probably eight to ten inches stacked, okay? <laughs> so we play Uno with that deck. Oh, right. Okay. So now we're talking Uno. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah. How many draw fours can you put on one person? Oh, a lot. Yeah. And so um, we played this week. Every time somebody won a game, a round, they got to make a rule. Oh, nice. So now you put out a draw. Didn't matter if it was draw two, draw four. Now you have to draw however many the card preceding it is. So if you just played a nine and slapped your draw four on it, you draw nine cards. Okay. Wow. Um, you can take in, um, you know, if you play the same card on exact same card, same number, same color on the one previous, you have to get a penalty card. You know, you can make all these different rules. It, re and it reminds me of, uh, um, I used to read Calvin and Hobbes and love Calvin and Hobbes and they would play Calvin ball and the rules changed every time they were playing all Calvin the time. and Hobbes. That's right. That's and right. one of my kids, one of my kids would go absolutely berserk at what you've just described. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. It's got to have rules. The rules have to be clearly defined. And my other two would go, yeah, this sounds great. Let's go for it. So, okay. So, you know, is that your game or is that your family game? It, it's one of the ones that's a good go-to. I like word games. Um, I like I like games like Balderdash. <laughs> You're bluffing your way through definitions. Right. Yep. I like um, Scrabble and things like that. Now, another piece of trivia. I had a traumatic brain injury. And so... Um, for a time, I was pretty much a basket case and I couldn't remember things. I had um, a lot of issues just in my speech and trying to even remember words. Right. And um, so my children started playing trivia games and I try and play and they're like, this is wonderful. We can finally beat mama. You know? so <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Nice use of the traumatic I know, training. I know. Group. And it's yeah. fun. And, and I'm the type of person... I'd much rather laugh at situations than curl up and cry because yes. those are really your only two options when facing something. Yep. Um, you either just succumb to it and you're just 
give up or you face it with some humor and you just press through. And so my family, um, there, I love my family. We have a really amazing group of, of How people. many of them live near you? Right now, I have four that live at home. They're all adults. Four live at home. I have a son in Florida, he, he and his wife in Florida, son and his wife in Michigan, a son in Texas, and a daughter in North Tennessee. So, wow. yeah. I, um, and two, two in Alabama. Oh, well, there you go. So you got them all over. Like, I do. I do. So Alice and I are talking about keeping Tennessee as our residence, but buying a little RV and just traveling around. Because we've got, you know, I've made lots of connections across the country and actually around the world. We've talked about going to India for an extended period of time. And and I, I think it all feeds into what you're talking about, just like with your kids spreading out and some staying at home and, and doing that stuff is it's all this genuineness and their authenticity. But this gentleman we had on Gary Rainsford, um, he uh, he decided to try and collect all his kids in Middle Tennessee. And there's like eight families. And he said, oh, we've got one holdout son who's working for in the film industry, film and TV universal out in, in Los California. Angeles, but mm -hmm. we've brought all the others into Middle Tennessee. And I'm like, you know, for those people that don't have a big family, that they have a network of people that surround them, regardless of whether they want a big family or not. Sometimes you have a network. And I always grew up in family business. And so family business is a little different, right, Sue? Because you get glad in the same pants you got mad in. You fight it out. When it's a retail store, you fight it out in the retail store. And one of my customers said, this is better than reality TV. And she didn't <laughs> use the term reality TV. I think she used soap opera or something back in the day. Mm -hmm. You would just... I grew up with that. And then some people who would come to work for us and they're like, we can't work in this environment. You guys like fight all the time. Yeah, we're family. Like we fight and then we make up, you know, but there's a dynamic everywhere we go. And once we start to understand those dynamics and, and our story, it comes back to, comes back to people need to hear that story. And that's what I, I love today. I think that we're missing out with a bunch of seniors. Um, you know, I'm 55, my wife's 63. And I, I think of people that are 70s, 80s, and 90s that didn't grow up around the internet, right? They were already adults. I, I've got friends that don't use computers. Mm -hmm. They don't even barely know how to use a cell phone, right? But we're not getting their stories. We've lost their story. We're going to lose their stories. And if you tell them that, oh, let's get on Zoom and, and do, let's tell me my your story. Oh, I don't know how to use Zoom. I don't know how to... Well, just record it. Here's a micro cassette. Just, just record. T tell your story. I, are you finding that that sort of stuff bothers you that we're losing these generations that could do something about it and are not? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have major historic events that yes, we can read about it in some history book, to, but to hear an individual story, that's something that we'll never get back. And so when we think about the aging generations, all the World War II veterans, they're quite elderly if they're still alive, you right. know, yeah. and we don't have their stories. We don't have just those things that we can come back to. Um, same with Holocaust victims, you know, from the same era. Same with Vietnam veterans. Now they're all getting older and we're right. going to lose. What was your experience? You know, not don't tell me about the political issues right. and all. Tell me, what did you do? How did you? go through how did you handle how did you 
um, experienced this? What were your things? That's your story. Nobody else has that story. And the things you learn out of your own experiences can impact and help others. Number one, it can help them to avoid things. So I deal a lot with people. Um, a couple of my clients were drug addicts and then just a mess. And so their story is not what I would want, <laughs> you know, their right. story is not what I'm wishing for anybody I know, but the things they learned helps others to avoid that or helps others to heal out of that. That's priceless. And so if we lose that story, then the ripple, again, that ripple effect, who is not helped, whose lives aren't helped. Same with anybody who's experienced something that, you know, those of us who remember the Berlin Wall coming down, those of us who remember the Twin Towers being knocked down, those of us, you know, in 20 years, nobody's going to know how it felt for the average common person right. to have lived through that. Yes, it's in the history book, maybe. You know, <laughs> they may not even bother to put that one in. So same with you. You know, what happened in the brush fires in Australia? What happens in all that? You know, those were huge events. Right. But in our fast paced, quick turnover world, people are going to say, oh, I didn't even remember that was a thing. Right. Yeah. That's and you're exactly right. Yeah. My my grandparents had a house in, in a rural area. And, and I remember being dad being called and saying, telling us all to get in the car because we had to rush out to Nan and Pa's house because it was, there was a bushfire all around it. And we had to, and so he had these big 55 gallon buckets of water or drums of water that you'd have Hessian sacks in. And mm -hmm. you would, the kids would use that to beat it out because you couldn't get enough water on the fire. You could just water the roof and, and hope for the best. Right. And right. so, yeah, those stories, you're right. That, that's not a story I've thought about in, in 40 years. Right. Um, but these are the things that the general, it just, even the little thing, like my wife grew up in Cimarron, Kansas, little town, 2000 people. And she was telling me the other day about the story about the, the soda jerk, you know, the guy mm -hmm. that would make mm -hmm. the milkshakes and the floats and the, you know, the root beer, and just sitting at the counter at Clark's drug out in, 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 in Cimarron, Kansas. And those stories, yeah, we see some of it in movies and stuff, but having, having the original people telling those stories and it being out there because one day AI is going to make it where we can put in any term that they've mentioned in one of the episodes or one of the videos that they've recorded and that'll be searchable and that'll be found just like if they write it in a book it'll all be searchable um and so we're going to have this information overload but when we when we narrow down what we want to find out those stories should be available to be read and not just the, just not the high profile, but the everyday, um, you know, Absolutely. mom and mom and pop individual yeah. that grew up because there's so much to be learnt from history, you know, uh, anyway, we could talk and about your that. Own, for hours. Your family history. Yes. Right. Your family history. It tells you, um, we were very shocked. My daughter did our family history on my, um, on my mother's side, I think it was. Um, but she found out that, a lot of the people weren't content to stay put. <laughs> so they kept moving west in the U.S. and they kept establishing new towns. And it, it looks like, and of course, we don't have the written history, so we're only going by documentation. It looks like every time something got pretty well established, they went, hmm, 
little too tame here. Let's move a little further. And they actually founded numerous towns as they went west. And I thought, wow, maybe that's this entrepreneurial um mindset we have where we can we can step out we can try it we can do it is it a family legacy well if you don't have that type of thing written down how do you even know right how do you even know you think oh i'm just a one-off somewhere you know <laughs> that little one is a little strange and yet you find out no this is in your dna this is in your history this is part of who you are and you can you can then expound on that you can you can you know, really bank on that. You can market on that. You say, okay, they did it in the past. Now I know I can too. Right. Exactly. And, and you talk to people like, so I've, I've had two open heart surgeries and the second open heart surgery, I, I talked to the surgeon before they did it. And I said, so what made you want to become a cardiologist, you know, a, a heart surgeon? And he said, well, my dad's a heart surgeon. Okay. Got it. What made me want to become an entrepreneur? Well, all my aunts and uncles and my grandparents in a second life after their corporate life were entrepreneurs. My nan was one of the top 10 Tupperware dealers in, a, in Australia in the 70s. And we used to go over to her uh, house, the same ones that were in the bushfires. They had a double car garage that they built and lived in until they built the house. Well, it's where she stored all her uh, Tupperware orders back in the 70s. And we would, we were gang uh gang chain ganged or whatever you say <laughs> that's right forced labor press gang press yeah. gang that's you right go. yeah yeah <laughs> um into filling orders you know and i said oh nanny when i grow up i want to be a business owner she said very good now go back and pack that order you know go get the go get the tupperware ball don't be playing with it bring it over here you know and so everybody has got a reason and so i love talking to entrepreneurs on my entrepreneurial podcast and i say to them i said now did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family or did you not grow up you know and most of them did but the ones i really like digging into is how do you change from oh my parents were both uh teachers or did they do any entrepreneurial stuff on the site no nah, no nah, they never had second business that to me amazes me how do you move from having parents that are teachers to starting a business and being successful yeah how do you break yeah. the mold right. absolutely and that's absolutely. that's a story that i would like to do a you know a series of stories on these people it doesn't really matter who they are or how successful they've been but the transition from no entrepreneurial leadership no entrepreneurial background to entrepreneurs it's like starting a podcast i tell people all the time if you've got something to say or if you've got a group of people you want to talk to, start a podcast. Well, I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, either did I. And people tell me, oh, you can do it so much better if you use this, that, or whatever. You know what? This works for me. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you got to find your level. So people, get out there and find what you really, 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 really want to do. Mm -hmm. And don't want to waste any more time not doing it. And if Sue can help you do that, if Sue can help you not waste time and get started, you need to reach out. Now, that's your little plug there. I I, there I really enjoy having you on the show. I, would you come <laughs> back another time and, and we could dig into some more different, because I would like to talk about your travels around the world. I would like to talk about that sometime. I think that would be interesting. And why you still choose to live in Middle Tennessee would be cool, because uh, I think that would feed into Nashville too as well. But let's talk a little bit about your hidden gems. What are the things around Middle Tennessee that you love to do or where you guys go hang out or or just that people should know about? What, what do you do? What are you doing when you're not working? 
oh, well, mostly enjoying my family. <laughs> but let me just say this, okay? Y'all have to remember, I came here saying I have 10 kids. I moved to Tennessee with eight of my 10 still living at home. My daughter was here in Middle Tennessee attending Vandy for her master's degree. And um, so when we came, we had a very large family. And um, so as a mom like that, I like to know that there's things to do for inexpensive or for free. So I'm always right. looking for free things to do. And there are tons of really exciting, very interesting things that don't cost you anything to do. And especially in Nashville, one of my all-time favorites is every Saturday evening in the summer, the right. Nashville Parks has um, where they bring big band into the park in um, Centennial Park and they do big bands play live music and they do dance lessons. So you can go there and dance all evening long in the summer. That is so fun. And they give lessons in case you don't know how to dance and you can just sit there and we, you come in, there's tiny toddler children up to very senior citizens. And they're all just having an amazing time. A lot of people will bring blankets and a picnic and just make an afternoon evening out of it. And that is a huge fun thing. But and in if our you, show notes, do we have okay. Big Ben? Yeah, we do. We, uh -huh. we have that information. Okay. Yeah, cool. that's that's just a lot of fun. And even my kids, when they were younger, they would go down and, and dance. And and um, mostly, you know, when my boys hit their teens, they're just staring now. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was something the whole family could do. And again, doesn't cost you anything but a picnic lunch, you know? And um, just... The Fort Neagley and um, Fort Nashboro, and there's several museums downtown that are free. The Nashville Public Library is one of the most amazing places to go. But you have to remember, there's some good deals for families as well. Um, the Adventure Science Center, you oh, yeah. can buy a year pass. And a lot of people aren't aware that that pass to the Adventure Science Center, they actually have a network and you can take it. You can go to the Boston Science Center, the Seattle Science Center, science centers all around the U.S., some in Canada as well, that are connected. And your pass gets you either in for free or a discount. That's yeah. gold. <laughs> you know? right. That's golden. So if you are traveling, you can go see other places. So there's there's so much to see. Another thing that is not that Nashville per se, but Rutherford County just south of us is um, every May they have what they call the, the, the Rutherford County Parks Department does free day in May. And their Rutherford County sites are open for free admission to get into them on that particular day. So like what would be some of the things in Rutherford County? Um, They have... Oh, you asked, and I don't, it's not on the top of my head. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But um, so there's the um, plantation down there that you can go see. They have um, costumed reenactors there. Uh, the Carlton, no, that's not the one. Anyways, it's a mansion. So they could look up, they could look up Rutherford <laughs> look up County. Free day in May, Rutherford County's free day in May. Yes, okay. indeed. And that would but show they, all the they, um The little science center there in, in Murfreesboro and, um, 
just a lot of different places. You can go into all of them. It's only one day a year. So you've got to be planning ahead. Plan out. And I guess I bet you they get swamped. The 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 most popular places would be absolutely swamped. Um, some of them. But whenever we've gone, it's been actually surprisingly not crowded because nobody knows, you know, it's. So they it's, need a marketing director. Gems. They need a marketing director. Maybe That's I can help it. them. There you go. Um, well, cool. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. Before you go, though, we did allude to the fact that your spelling of your name is it's the same as the Sioux Indian, right? Is that correct? Is that correct. correct. So, so tell me about the history of how you uh, got blessed with an unusual name like Sioux spelled S-I-O-U-X, I-O-U. Yeah. It is actually not my given name okay. because I'm Sioux. And I did indeed learn it when I was um, young that it was an Indian tribe. And I thought it was so cool that it said Sounds my same. name. Yep. 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 <laughs> and so um, a lot of people ask me about that. And I've always used it because I thought it was cool. Um, but they asked me, you know, they, nobody can spell it. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I, I said I was putting the I after I, the after, after, yeah. 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 Yep. So I've made an acronym out of it. And it is because my faith is very important to me. It's part of central to who I am. Um, the S stands for the fact that I am saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm established, I, that I'm firmly rooted in who I, like I am and who I am called to be. And so the IOU, back in the old days, they would just sign that instead of writing out, I owe you money, they would just put IOU. And that reminds me that I have a debt. I have a debt to my creator and I have a debt to everyone I meet in this world. And you're like, okay, what debt do you owe people? Well, I've been so incredibly blessed and this is where the X comes in and this is the stretch part, but I owe you an extra mile. I owe you to be excellent. I owe you to be extraordinary in what I do and what I bring. And so that defines my life. That defines my philosophy of living and my philosophy of business. I'm going to make sure you understand that there is a foundation in you there, that there is a debt you owe, not just to yourself to be genuine and authentic, but you owe it to people out there that need to hear your message and you owe them excellence. You owe them an extraordinary life because let's be honest, who wants to live in the doldrums? <laughs> you yeah, can't it's, it's, say hey i've got something for you you can live mediocre the rest of your life and they'll be like doing just fine without that <laughs> and so i offer people the extraordinary let's okay. take it let's go and be just extravagant in our lives and enjoy i mean the, the biggest thing that i see is that you're always enjoying life. Things may not be always going fantastic, mm -hmm. but you can still get the contentment and the enjoyment out of that. And so, hey, I, I appreciate you sharing that with us because that's a great note to end on. Um, what did Abraham Lincoln said, uh, paraphrased, I think it was something like people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. Yeah. He says, if, you, if we look for the good in people, we'll often find it. You know? And so that's it. What are we looking for? Are we looking for things to not work out, looking for things to be disappointing? You're going to find it. But you look for the joy. You look for the good. You look for the opportunity to serve and make a difference. And you look for prosperity. You look for joy. You'll right. find it. I, I think uh, Norman Vincent Peale's book, Enthusiasm Makes the Difference, 
to be enthusiastic about life, which I, I think both of us would qualify about being enthusiastic. I think nobody could argue that um, made a big difference in my life because I used to be negative. Right. And it, it mm -hmm. just changed my mindset. And I, like I said, be authentic unless you're a serial killer, then don't be that change. Your spouse can't change you. They can ad adapt behavior modification in some cases, but to be genuine change, you have to decide to change. Sue, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'd love to have you back for another episode. So let's get that scheduled. Um, and this is the Nashville 2 podcast with your host, Edward Fox.